Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The race is on, and engines are the big talking point in F1 right now, both for the long term, with the 2026 rules taking shape, and brands like Audi and Porsche set to be on the grid, and the short term, with upgrades and reliability concerns potentially shaping the World Championship battle. I'm Ed Straw, and joining me with the latest on power units, both present and future, are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. Well, Scott, hello. People won't be surprised to hear what country you're in, but you are in a slightly unusual environment for recording this podcast today it's a little bit more flat sixy perhaps than uh than uh than, than v6 but uh, tell us where you are oh I, I don't know what you're talking about ed i'm i'm in location for the next grand prix early aren't you not quite not uh, not quite in istanbul park yet but i think you're you're somewhere a bit more northerly are you not oh istanbul park i thought oh, i'm at mantorp park i've i've, I've made a i've made a huge miscalculation <laughs> not for the first time <laughs> no i'm uh I'm 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 at Mantorp Park for the uh, Porsche Carrera Cup Scandinavia season finale. It's my first time here, so it's uh, adding another track to my uh, adding my another track to my list. It's my shamefully, it's only my second Swedish venue that I'm adding um, after um, Karlskoga or uh, Yellow Rosten Arena, as it's sort of now known. Um, and unfortunately, I think the F1 calendar is a bit unkind, or the provisional F1 calendar is a bit unkind for next year, because I was really hoping to go to Anderstorp but um, that's not looking likely. But I'm here now. I've added another circuit to my list, which is 47 now. So that means Istanbul next week will be 48. And then you never know. We've obviously got Qatar on the calendar now, 49, Saudi Arabia. I can have my half century somewhere in the Middle East. Oh, you're rattling along uh, very well. I do have the advanced show views. I have been to uh, Anderstorp. Have you done Anderstorp, Mark? I haven't, no, no. I just um, know it from um, 1970s Grand Prix videos. I, uh, I went there for world touring cars. I, I can remember um went out to watch Trackside and they had some very old rickety grandstands kind of with sort of boards and stuff. They sort of bowed under your feet. And I, I remember with I was there with uh, the uh, the motorsport journalist Marcus Simmons, who, who we all know, and he was very, very careful not to stand on the same bowing bit of wood as I was in the uh, in the, the grandstand that I'm pretty <laughs> sure was there for the uh, for the Grand Prix of the 70, given its uh, vintage. But yeah, a, a cracking place. And it's always great to go to some new circuits. So if you hear any unusual engine noises in the background from Scott, that's, uh, that explains that one. But let's get into the topic at hand, which is engines. So, Scott, we talked a few weeks ago on the podcast about F1's engine plans with the MGUH being dropped. Things have moved on a pace. So what's the latest in terms of the engine rules and what it could mean for the brands on the grid in 2026? Yeah, so we're just learning a little bit more now about the details of how this new engine rule set 
it will take shape. And we, we, we knew from Monza that it was looking like the MGUH was going to be dropped and there was uh, a direction towards uh, unanimity on the subject uh, as long as certain conditions were, were being met. All of the existing manufacturers had agreed to, to lose it. But what we didn't know is, uh, I guess, exactly how F1 would effectively replace that because it made it clear that keeping with hybrid was the way to go and losing the most complex and sophisticated electrical component within the hybrid system seemed a bit um, counterproductive in, in, in that regard. So it was always likely that they were going to lean on the MGUK more. That would mean a bigger battery and then also go down the sustainable fuels front as well. And what we understand now is that it looks like the MGUK output is going to increase significantly, almost almost three times the, 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 the power output from the MGUK, from 120 kilowatts to 350, which is what, um, roughly 160 horsepower up to, well, I guess I'm, I'm, oh, I'm terrible at maths, what's that, about, about roughly about four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it would be, be three times as much, so about 480, so. Um, 480, sorry, three times you said, yeah. So, so a significant change on, from the MGUK, and then within that, there'll probably be, um, well, to counter that, there'll be some simplification of the internal combustion engine. I'm sure that'll mean some standardization within the V6. That'll help keep costs down. And in addition to that, there is gathering pace, the idea of a cost cap on the engine. I still don't know exactly what that number is going to be. I know, I suspect that Mercedes will be angling for the lowest number possible, and any potential new manufacturers, which I'm sure we'll get into, will want slightly more so they can spend more because they're coming in at an experience disadvantage. So it's very interesting. Obviously, there are a lot of um, ramifications with losing the H and massively increasing the K's output, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get into. But yeah, it's just interesting that we're starting to get a little bit of flesh on the bones for the idea of what the next gen engine will be when it comes in, which will now be in 2026 rather than um, 2025. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because ostensibly, it's um, it, it seems a bit of a backwards technology step, doesn't it? That dropping the H, this new technology that Formula One developed from the beginning of the hybrid era, um, it was quite tricky to master for um, new manufacturers coming in. But uh, on the other hand, it doesn't really um, translate into automotive because the duty cycles it, it depends on you being on full throttle for so much of the time for it to have any any significant effect. And as we're moving to, to try and align it better with automotive development, it, it, they've decided that that's not really a relevant technology anyway. So with, the as Scott said, the sustainable fuels being the big push and uh, in, increasing the the other ways of um, recovering energy, um, in, that's that's the way they've gone. Um, what's uh, intriguing me is um, with such a big increase in the um, in, in the the, the, the K, whether they are thinking of putting it on both axles, because um, that would be the easiest way of, uh, of 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 massively increasing the energy recovered. Um, but it, it that brings all sorts of side issues up uh, because it's then relatively um, simple to start uh, thinking about software control, stability control. If you've got control of both axles, uh, then that's a, quite an emotive subject because that's uh, the differentiator between the the great drivers and the good drivers. How much um, 
speed you can uh, maintain on the entry to a corner. So uh, yeah, lots lots of detail to be hammered out, I'm sure, but uh, very intriguing. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what the uh, what eventually what eventually comes out of the uh, the process at the other end. Just on the subject of the um, where you harvest the energy from both axles, it sounds like they're going to stick with the rear axle only, which that's going to be a major undertaking, isn't it? Because if you're if you're tripling effectively the MGUK's output, I know that you, you haven't got the H in there in, a, anymore, but so, so you don't have the H's output to worry about, but you're still going to have to harvest what's probably presumably going to be two or three times as much energy as the current energy store has. And all of that is only going to be done through the rear axle for the K, which that that, that sounds to me like that's, that sounds like an awful lot to try and do, I don't. I, I don't understand the, the 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 full scale of the mechanics with it. But as I understand it, in that limited capacity that I have, it's a pretty big undertaking to try and do everything off of the rear axle only. And obviously, then you get into the the drivability aspects of um, what that would be like under braking. And that's before you even go down the route of what triple the K's power output means for drivability without an H there to spin up the turbo and basically work as an anti lag system. So it's going to be quite a complex undertaking to get on top of it, isn't it? The good thing is, is it also means there's plenty of upside to explore in terms of, of the uh, the power unit packages because that's quite an important thing because when you contain things spending-wise, you want to have plenty of potential to to kind of exploit clever ideas to find performance. So obviously, it's a, it's a fine balance because we don't want monstrous differences between the the performances, the power units across the, the whole field, but you want it to be a technological competition, don't you? So that's that's quite an interesting thing, that there is a lot of energy. To, I mean, that is a huge increase in terms of the amount of energy to be harvested. Uh, Scott has not played that down. That's absolutely going to be a thing you're going to be looking at and, and head-scratching, but you want this to drive the technology the motor generator units, the systems you're using, the the electronic management of it. So I'm quite pleased that there's a clear area where they'll really have to to gain. And it, it actually seems a reasonably elegant package because it sounds like still on the conventional engine, the kind of combustion technology, that kind of thing is going to be relatively open. Uh, other parts of the engine are going to be much more restricted. So it seems that all those little key areas that have been important, with the exception of the MGUH, uh, in recent times, will will carry over. So, so I like that from from that perspective. And it'll be interesting to see some of the ancillary details of this, because obviously one of the things that Mercedes made very clear was that they were happy to go in this direction, but they didn't want any new manufacturers coming in to have too many breaks and dispensations and able to spend more money because they're catching up on the argument that it's a brand new engine. So interesting to see the fine print, as it were, when these regulations actually exist. Yeah, it's. I think the impact it's going to have if we're going down this um, road of of, of, of um, K only and not H, it's going to be. It's a clean sheet of paper job because that affects the way the turbo is going to work um, and how how you can use the turbo, and that in turn affects the the optimum sort of combustion chamber shape and all all sorts of things. So. Yeah, it is. It is actually. It's not just going to be a simple matter of adapting for the existing manufacturers adapting what they already have. It is absolutely a clean sheet of paper for for them all. And that's why Mercedes was arguing so strongly for this because they felt that they they were agreeing to things to help encourage a new brand in, 
And so you have this new engine design, so it's a little bit more of a level playing field. And then on top of that, they didn't want to be giving them extra things. They're thinking, well, hang on, we're all having to do something completely new here. So that's that's why your point about clean sheets of paper uh, is important. So what do we know, Scott, about the the commitment level of, of VW? It sounds like it's it's kind of as close to being done as it can be without everything being signed, sealed and delivered, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, you've... Uh... You've you've gone flat out with it there, haven't you? Um, I, I I guess it is to be honest. It certainly seems like it's more realistic than ever because how many t- I, I've I've heard it several times. Um, I've heard it several times since starting covering F1 only a few years ago. I remember doing a story on I think it was Porsche built an entire they they, they built a single. I, I don't even remember if it was they might have even gone beyond like the single cylinder phase of building a hybrid engine and 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 basically had it running and so so there's always been stories and and talk of uh, a VW brand whether it's and and Audi and Red Bull in particular have always seemed to be pretty closely linked in terms of gossip so it's always been it's always been hinted at I guess it's always been hoped for to a degree because we've seen what these brands have done in other forms of motorsport incredible levels of success and you want to kind of see that in in F1 but now it actually feels like there's tangible interest we knew it was being said constantly a few months ago that just because Volkswagen and uh, sorry just because Audi and Porsche representatives were part of the discussions it was in no way indicative of an intent to enter F1 and they were just sort of hearing it out they've been part of been part of it before so you had people that were being cynical saying ah this is just you know passing interest they're just here to meddle have their voices heard and then they'll disappear and go and do something else. But it, it really haven't faded away. There's still a key part of it. And it's just the Red Bull Powertrains project, the idea that Red Bull would build its own F1 engine, which was obviously something that was born from Honda's decision to withdraw from F1, which will happen at the end of this year. And they'll help Red Bull for a little bit and then fade out completely. That Powertrains project always had the air of something that was designed for something bigger you know, Red Bull's got no need to build its own F1 engine. Red Bull doesn't have to. Red Bull doesn't gain anything technologically from understanding that area, broadening its expertise. It it needs an engine to run the F1 team that exists as a massive marketing tool for for, for the Red Bull Empire. So Red Bull just needs an engine and, and putting this infrastructure in place with a view to it being a long term project that grad, gradually brings in another manufacturer. You know whether it's whether it gets seen as a full works deal, whether it's a semi-works deal, how, however you want to, t- to to term it, it does look like a Red Bull Volkswagen Group alliance is. A, a, I don't want to say near certainty. Nothing, no, nothing's a hundred percent in in F1. It does feel like that's the outcome here, and it's going to be interesting to see. Which I think you might have mentioned, Ed, when we did the podcast episode that some people listening to this might have heard already, talking about that Red Bull VW alliance. I'm pretty sure you mentioned. The prospect of if they get, if Volkswagen Group comes into F1 with an engine project, why not brand one a Porsche, one an Audi? Those options would be there. Maybe they listen to that podcast. If you did, I'm sure you did suggest that. Maybe they listen to the podcast because what I've heard is that that could actually be a serious outcome here, where where there's a there is a single Volkswagen Group engine project done in unison with Red Bull, but singular from the point of view of you know, it's not a Porsche engine or an Audi engine. It's a Volkswagen Group technology project, and then 
depending on the deals that can be done, the supply deals, what partnerships there are, one does get branded a Porsche, one does get brand, branded an Audi. Um, and if that's the case, that just seems like win, 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 win. I don't, I don't see any losers from that situation. I'll make sure I send them a consultancy fee invoice for, for that suggestion. But it, it's logical because we talk about car companies, but they're, they're all groups of companies now. And, and actually Volkswagen Group has probably got half a dozen suitable brands that could be used in F1. They've got all sorts of even Lamborghinis around, isn't it, in, in that portfolio? So it seems logical to, to do that. I get a little bit confusing, but I, I, I don't mind so much having a Volkswagen and an Audi and a Porsche engine on the grid that are all the same engine as much as I do having a Renault engine and a Tag Heuer engine on the, on the grid. That always used to, uh, to to irritate me. But this seems to be to be a good direction. And, and Mark, you'd have to say logically, given they are making a change to a new engine and the dispensations are being made specifically for new manufacturers, it does seem that, that that's the primary motivation for it. If we just had the existing group of engine manufacturers plus we'll consider Honda, Red Bull to be sort of a, a pseudo Honda project, it would be logical to be relatively stable for this next phase and not do something like take the H out, but perhaps perhaps beef up the overall uh, power of the hybrid system, but but not take the H out. But the fact they're making this change would be self-defeating if there wasn't another brand that was going to commit. Oh, absolutely. That's been the, um, the whole thing about this whole discussion is F1 and the FIA want a new manufacturer and this that's a very very attractive prospect for them especially if it means um multiple branding as well from one entry so yeah it, that, that it doesn't just increase um the volkswagen group's marketing reach but it, it impacts upon the whole sport so yes so they, they've been very very open and accommodating to that and then even the existing manufacturers understand the value of that so it's it's not just the, the, in these discussions it's it's like with when the teams as well it's not just the, the the engine manufacturers but they have to sort of step out of their role of competitors and look at it globally um as how do, how do we improve the sport how do we improve the interests of the sport um, but then they they step back in after they leave the meeting and then try and work out how to you know best exploit what they've agreed to. Um, so it's 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 a very similar process here. I think the existing manufacturers might have preferred just to be able to stay on on the on the packages that they already had invested a lot of money in and were happy with. But they have understood the value of attracting a new, a, a new manufacturer, and I think once they were convinced. Of the seriousness this time of the the VW group, then they they, they were relatively easy to talk around. I feel that I think um, form was um, probably pushing against a slightly slightly open door. The fact that this does look like it's going to facilitate that that entry, I can't imagine a better, at least in the modern era, with given how complex and expensive these engines have got, I can't imagine a better sort of value way of getting an engine project off the ground that Volkswagen has here because if you're looking at it from a Porsche and Audi perspective I don't know the ins and outs of whatever deal would would be done if it is you know a 50-50 offering with Red Bull powertrains and and, and how you share those resources financial and technological I, I don't know but it's going to stop it's going to stop it being a complete startup from absolute nothing and then when you get to the individual brands like Audi and Porsche, presumably it's it's a case of, okay, well, this is a shared undertaking technologically. 
but you guys have got your own budgets so do do what you need to do from a fun, from a marketing point of view comms point of view branding point of view even and then it'll be really interesting just to see how because it would it, we've we've got all these kind of like pseudo works deals in F1 already don't we with Alfa Romeo and Aston Martin and stuff like this where it's all branding related it's not like technology really seeping into to formula 1 or, or or vice versa they're kind of doing it it's like the 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 modern version of a of of a works team it's almost like a works light program so i'm very interested to see what exactly the brands would do in that situation to make it their own team and i also wonder exactly who would be the take up because this is obviously all based on the idea that it would be Red Bull and someone else. And I know that AlphaTauri is the obvious contender there because it's Red Bull's sister team. But I don't think we should discount a team like Williams, which is in a very interesting position as an independent now, has a Mercedes engine deal that runs to the end of 2025. And I just wondered, Mark, stealing Ed's job as the one who asks questions, but given your sort of musings when the Alex Albon deal was done with Williams for 2022 you must be reflecting on your theory quite quite uh quite pleased with yourself now thinking oh this is this is continuing to add up <laughs> well i'm not really <laughs> thinking like that but i I'm, i think the when when the album deal happened um right on the back of total wolf um expressing his desire for the opposite outcome and and, and his uh desire to see that album deal not happen and then it went ahead and happened anyway, just a matter of days later. It suggested that the um, the, the, the 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 political power was um, had had shifted, and it was no longer uh, Mercedes no longer carried such heft with Williams. And then you just logically think, well, why might that be? And yeah, I think I I don't think the um, Alban deal. Drove the engine decision, but I think the Alban, the fact that the Alban deal went ahead um, against Toto's wishes at Mercedes suggests that, um, that something else had happened beneath, you know, beneath the surface uh, in terms of the the power politics, and that to me suggested that um, the, the, there was maybe a, a possible Williams future Williams Volkswagen alliance there, a Red Bull Volkswagen Williams alliance. Just to throw another idea out there, and this is completely speculative, but if a VW group does get drawn in, it'll be interesting to see if any other companies get tempted to have another little bit of a look at Formula One. I've got no evidence that they are, but as Scott mentioned with previous Porsche experiments, in every one of these car companies, they'll there'll be all sorts of little development groups and ideas groups that are fiddling around with very low-level ideas for this sort of thing. And there'll be people who are always lobbying for it. So like Ford Motor Company, there's probably somebody there pushing for it and will be uh, be, be looking at it. And that they've also, F1, have tried to get all of these companies involved in the discussions in some way, shape or form, even if it's completely speculative. So you never know if there might be a little bit of a knock-on effect. It's a difficult time to get car companies into uh, to commit big money to, to motorsport and Nobody else will have the situation that that Volkswagen appears set to take advantage of with the uh, the Red Bull powertrains company existing, and obviously the the benefits of not having to set up your own massive organisation and commit huge amounts of money into that side of things is huge. But you never know if it might just get someone else thinking or having a look at Formula One, which is of course what uh, what Formula One itself wants, and maybe even 
get them thinking more for the the next next generation, whenever that is down the line. Yeah, and you've also you've always got companies like Ilmore and Cosworth just sitting there, potentially turnkey operations. If um, you know, if somebody did want to do it that way, yeah, there's uh, there's there's many many ways to do it, and I think anything anything you can do to stop a manufacturer having to commit that sort of infrastructure to it because the important thing to remember is that when you when you pull out which inevitably happens with most manufacturers in the end there's a huge cost associated with doing that it's the reason why when honda got rid of its f1 team and it became Braun, they basically gave them the team and a load of money because they'd have had to spend an enormous amount to shut the team down so you kind of avoid that cost if it's uh if there's some kind of volkswagen deal with red bull powertrains that means it's a you know, a contract to use their services, etc. So it's it's a nice, elegant way of doing it. But exciting times for Formula One. It, it looked like a hard job to get a, a manufacturer in, a new manufacturer in, in these times, and they're getting close to doing it. it can't uh, F1 can't count its chickens before they hatch, but it's looking uh, very, very positive for the future. Well, Mark, let's stay on engines now, but look a little bit more in the here and now. We didn't get the chance to talk about the Ferrari hybrid upgrade that ran on Charles Leclerc's car at Sochi. So what can you tell us about it? So they've upgraded from a 400-volt system to an 800-volt. This is the, the latest in battery technology is the, the batteries are becoming denser with more energy stored within the same mass. It allows a more efficient battery usage, and that efficiency gain can, can be used in lots of ways. It can be used to keep the cells cooler, um, which you, then you can um, use them harder. Uh, it can accept faster harvesting rates, or it can deploy more powerfully. These are all said to be marginal gains though and as far as ferrari are telling us it gave leclerc's engine an extra something like eight horsepower something like that but that's just peak power it it also have more of that power available more of the time um mercedes already had an 800 volt system and has had for at least a year uh, i believe honda now has that too which may be the new um energy scott store uh, scott's going to tell us about in a moment but this ferrari upgrade is just Part of its planning for the 2022 power unit, which is the big change. It's depending upon to fully close that 30-something horsepower gap they currently lag behind Mercedes and Honda. Um, that's a much more substantially upgraded PU, conceived around the now accepted interpretation of the fuel flow regula- regulations, rather than a, a hurried adaptation Ferrari had to make for last season and which had run-on effects into this season. So next year will be the Pucker new unit, and we can judge where Ferrari power unit technology is really at. And of course, that's the uh, the countdown that's against them, isn't it? They need to have it sorted next year because the various things are homologated for the the final years over the course of uh, of twenty twenty two. So it's a really really important year, and they've stressed how how significant introducing this now to get some understanding of it ahead of of next year uh, is. We should note the customer teams don't appear to be getting it this year. Uh, so they'll stay on the uh, the older spec unless uh, unless something changes. But Scott, it's encouraging for Ferrari, isn't it? They've got this up and running, and they seem happy that it, it's working. It wasn't going wrong at, at Sochi, so it means fundamentally their their work is good. So it's it's just one of many boxes they need to tick power unit wise, but positives from, from what we've seen so far. Yeah, abs- absolutely. It's and it's always when when you see uh, when you see a manufacturer going going to great lengths to to get something out towards the end of a season and they make it make it clear it's with an eye on next that's normally something that we associate with um sort of chassis development isn't it aerodynamic upgrades and stuff like this and we've seen it in the past when there have been incoming rule changes someone will trial a new spec front wing or or or, or this kind of thing so 
I think it, I think it speaks volumes for for what Ferrari is trying to achieve on the on the, on the power unit side. And um, Carlos Sainz said it was basically absolutely key for Ferrari to be in a position to trial this on track. So, um, yeah, I, I I find that sort of stuff fascinating, and I find it uh, I find it interesting, even if it's purely coincidence that we've got. A situation where they're not going to be identical changes, of course, but it's just curious that with an area of the with an area of the hybrid system that is so often unheralded, we end up in a situation where two of the four manufacturers have introduced an upgrade that relates to that area at basically the same time. It's also going to make it very interesting at the start of next season because obviously all the attention is on the new cars, massive, massive rule changes. But we've got Ferrari with basically a different engine concept. Obviously, we'll have the first iteration of the Red Bull continuation Honda engine, but Honda is still developing that. So that that is still going to start the year effectively as a full-on Honda developed engine. Yeah, and also don't forget that we've, we've also got the um, the first introduction of the the switch to sustainable fuels or the increase on sustainable fuels. And it depends, depending on who you speak to, that is a, that's a colossal undertaking. There are some people suggesting that the... Um, the combustion characteristics of this fuel aren't actually that different to how it worked before. And then there are others who say actually it requires a massive change in, in the combustion process and that tens of millions are being spent to develop the engine to, to refine it. So curious actually to see if that has a, a, any kind of tangible impact that we can see from the outside. Yeah, very much so. And, and that means it's going to affect everyone. And, and even the engine manufacturers that we talked about less, obviously Mercedes, as we're going to get on to in a bit, have got a few problems. They need to troubleshoot uh, with a power unit for next year. And Renault finally is switching to the the split turbo concept that, that Mercedes had way back in uh, in, in 2014 and that Honda also uh, went to. So Considering all that focus is on the car, there's there's some significant things engine-wise, and it's it's doubly significant because that that should be locked in for the final years of that engine regulation. So certainly, there's there's a few homologation points during 2022, but once that's all done, 23, 24, and it looks like 25 now, we're all going to be the same power units. So yeah. There's going to be a lot of very, very nervous people in the uh, in the engine departments. It's fair to say, but Mark mentioned the uh, the Honda battery, Scott. So that that was quite a, a sneaky upgrade that didn't become apparent until uh, after the fact. Yeah, it was actually Sergio Perez's change at, at Zandvoort um, because Perez, if you remember, had qualified poorly in the Dutch Grand Prix. So and because it was it was guaranteed that he like like Verstappen would be end up in a position where he needed to have a fourth engine and a grid penalty, he qualified badly at Zandvoort. So Red Bull and Honda decided it would be worthwhile taking the grid penalty there, putting a fresh engine in the pool. But because Perez hadn't taken a fresh engine at Spa, which Verstappen had, it meant Perez hadn't yet taken the new battery, which meant when he changed all of his components after qualifying at Zandvoort, it meant taking the new spec energy store. And you can only make changes in Park Ferme if they're like for like, which meant that triggered an automatic pit lane start for Perez and because the FAA document specified the energy store was that of a different specification. So that was the first public-facing sign of it. But Honda were really shrewd about it. They were playing down exactly what what it was. I had it admitted to me that it was a the change of specification wasn't just a reliability tweak or something like that, which is allowed per the regulations, which indicated that they had done a performance update, 
But that could only mean that until some time recently, they'd been using the 2020 spec battery, 2020 spec energy store, because the engine manufacturers were only allowed one change of spec per component between the end of last season and the end of this season. And we knew that Honda had introduced this all-new engine at the start of the year. And while the focus was on the combustion engine, it was just assumed, taken as a given, that it meant the whole power unit had been updated. You know, that 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 hadn't it hadn't really been considered, I guess, by anybody that a specific component might have been left until later in the year. And obviously, Ferrari's admission that they were planning what Mark was explaining was the first sign of a manufacturer, oh no, we didn't introduce all new upgrades at the start of the year. We started the year with some stuff from last season. And now it turns out, which Honda admitted ahead of the Russian Grand Prix, that's exactly what Honda had done with the energy store. They'd started 2021 with the 2020 energy store. And then from Spa onwards, Verstappen has been using the upgraded energy store. So he's won two races with it at the time of this podcast. And it's a it's an update that has an impact on the power unit, but also the um, the vehicle dynamics and the chassis performance as well. It's one of those things, the, the energy store, that doesn't get talked about too often, does it, Mark? And it's it sort of comes to the top of the agenda now. But obviously, because battery technology is developing quite quickly, there's, there's huge amounts of potential there, aren't there? We should say the energy store, we call it the battery, it's, it's a collection of lithium-ion cells, isn't it? So the uh, the, the potential there for, for gains is is enormous. Yeah, it, it's, it's in a, still on a... Um, a relatively steep part of the um, technology improvement curve. And, uh, you know, going right back to the start of the hybrid program when um, Mercedes was uh, looking into how it could go about it, I remember them, uh, and Andy Cowell, who was in charge there at the time, um, telling an anecdote about he'd explained it to one of his colleagues in uh, Mercedes Automotive in Germany. And um, saying, yeah, the, the battery has to be this size and this weight, but we need it to produce this amount of power. And he'd said that the uh, the automotive engineer said, that's uh, that's crazy. When are you going to have this ready for? And he said, well, March. He said, no, that's a five-year project. He said, no, it's not. It's a six-month project because it has to be a six-month project. So, you know, it, um, that's just how the competition drives things. Yeah, and that's the advantage of being in something like Formula One. For the uh, for the engine manufacturers, and although when it comes to technology transfer, that kind of thing, it's never as simple as you take something off an F1 car and throw it at a road car. But there's there's knowledge gained that is relevant. It's slightly more intangible than you take this black box and throw it into something else and uh, and it transfers. So that that's why there is still an appeal in Formula One. And one of the things that was significant for Honda is while you're both absolutely right, this area is still something that's ripe for development, but it's not something, it's one of those where there's a lot of potential, but it takes an awful long time to harness that potential. And battery cell technology is still at a point where it's newer and there are bigger gains to be made, but it's very complex. And the, the change for for Honda on, on, on this energy store is, is a chemical change within the cells so this is something that honda haven't done since the first hybrid engine that they introduced they've they've changed the they've changed the casing of the of the energy store because obviously they've they've changed they've evolved the the engine architecture over over the years but they've never changed the internals so this is the the first internal technological upgrade of the energy store since the first version that honda introduced in 2015 this is been literally been years in the making getting to this point because 
Honda didn't have, as an F1 project, Honda didn't have the expertise, the battery expertise, to go down, go into developing the technology on their own. So they were basically waiting for Honda's R&D uh, facility in, in Japan the and the battery experts on the, the automotive side to get to the point where they had uh, enough of an advance to be able to then do a test pilot in, in, in F1, which is effectively what, you know this battery the, the this has evolved into with this energy store but it's like it's like mark was saying with that anecdote about mercedes this is something that um in the automotive world you it, it takes an awful long time to, to to put into practice obviously for this specific energy store honda didn't quite have the six month six month deadline to to turn around the new technology so they could afford to wait but they were desperate to get it on the grid on on track this year because as we know, Honda's withdrawing, it's handing everything over to Red Bull, and they're still going to do some stuff in the background, but they're not going to be directly involved. They're not going to be running the engine as Honda on track. So if there were any reliability problems or if there were any optimization problems with the battery, the way it worked, how it actually impacted the hybrid system in reality, and it didn't get introduced until next year, Honda wouldn't be able to directly help. So getting it on track... Now, a little bit like we touched on with Ferrari, it's all about getting a head start on next year as much as it is improving this year. Yeah, Ferrari and uh, and Honda, good reason to feel like they've got slightly ahead of, of the game on that, but there's still a lot more boxes to tick for them. Well, Scott, let's get on to the Mercedes engine headaches that could prove problematic over the final seven races of the season, particularly for Lewis Hamilton's title bid. How likely is he to have to serve a big penalty for introducing new components over the last seven races? Uh, how likely did we say it was the Volkswagen Group is going to enter F1? Hamilton getting an engine penalty is much more likely than the VW Group entering F1, and that looks pretty likely. So I would, um, I don't know if there are if there is such a market for this in 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 the betting world, but that is something that I would be I'd be very confident about about that happening. It looks like a a, sl- a slam dunk now. There's an awful long way to go still. The championship is so finely balanced. It's um. It's a no-brainer to take a grid penalty and have to bank a, 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 a third or a fourth in a race than think you can crack on without the fourth engine, suffer a failure, and then need that fourth engine anyway. Because that, that, that's, that's the reality. I, I, don't, I don't see him getting to the end of the year without taking the fourth. So he can either take it willingly, serve the grid penalty, recover in the Grand Prix, or, as I said, he can try and crack on, get caught out, suffer a failure in a race, retire, no points, and then he takes a grid penalty for the next race anyway, getting the new power unit. So it does seem like it's uh, it seems like it's unavoidable. I know the Mercedes have been trying to sort of hope that they wouldn't they wouldn't have to, but I think the fact that Valtteri Bottas is on what I think is fifth set of major components now, and he's had I think was it three new engines in three new engines in four events or something like that spa monza and and russia so yeah it's not even a case of um it's not even a case of just high mileage and the reality of this grueling calendar and the restrictions there does seem to be something amiss in the mercedes power unit itself yeah that's um 
that's very much the implication of that fifth engine that he took in Russia because it's now clear that that wasn't just a, a ploy to um, try and hold up Verstappen coming through from the back of the grid. There was actually genuine technical reasons for doing that. Now, I don't think they were forced to do it. Uh, it, it you know, had um, qualifying not uh, turned out the way it had and they'd Valtteri was on the front row. I suspect they wouldn't have made that change, but there was clearly a concern with the power unit that uh, Valtteri had taken, the new power unit that Valtteri had taken at Monza because he wasn't using that in qualifying. And so the question is, have they got on top of that? Um, you know, when they introduced this next engine for Lewis's, will it have a fix on it that, um, that, that, you know, comes from whatever they've identified on uh, Valtteri's engine from Monza. So, the, yeah, that's that's a real concern. Yeah, we're not 100% sure exactly what the big concern is, but there have been a few problems over the year. Williams, for example, have had a few pneumatic leaks on, on their system, most recent one with Latifi in Sochi. There's also seems to have been a few problems with crankcases uh, cracking. They've had a material change on that, apparently, so it could be related to that. But an interesting one for Mercedes. The really interesting question is, and I say this is an interesting one because with Red Bull, once it became clear Verstappen had to take one, Sochi just seemed such an obvious place to take it, and so it turned out. Mercedes, it's a slightly harder question when when you'd want to take it. Let's say right now they're thinking, right, we're going to have to do it. Where would you go for? My, my inclination would be to get it done sooner rather than later as part of your framework, but there's not kind of a, a an equivalent of Sochi for them where it's really obvious that's where they should do it, is there? For me, it would be Mexico because they know they're not going to be competitive there because the power unit's just the way the con the turbo is sized and configured. It's just unsuitable for such a high altitude, and that's why they always struggle there. And the Red Bulls usually dynamite there. So for me, they're going to get beaten there probably. It just if everything just went in a straightforward, smooth way. So for me, that that's that's where it would be. Provided, of course, you can get through. Turkey and the USA without any problems. I guess that's the that's the gamble you're 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 trying to take, and that I imagine is is more the question that they're looking at when it comes to studying these engines, and they're taking a very very close look at everything that they've still got in the pool to try and work that out. I guess whether it whether they can be pretty confident of getting through Turkey and uh, and Austin to to get to Mexico. So that's an interesting question. Where, where would you go for Scott? Would you would you be ultra cautious with it? The ultra cautious approach is just bolt it in in Turkey, isn't it? Then it's there. You're not going to get that double hit of a retirement and then a penalty. So that's the safest possible option. But equally, Toto Wolf said they've got to be aggressive for the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, struggling. For the sake of the podcast, I want to argue Mark's suggestion and come up and suggest an alternative. But Mexico, Mexico makes a lot of sense. It's also obviously very long start finish straight. So... Um, you know, decent opportunity to, to 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 make up ground during the race, especially once it spreads out and there are fewer DRS trains. Um, because I think if uh, I think if the because en if the engine's going to fail in either Turkey or or Austin, then I think Merck have got bigger problems than than the extra grid penalty because obviously Lewis's third engine only came in at Spa, so it's only done free Grand Prix because it didn't do a Grand Prix at Spa despite what the results would have you believe so there's not enough mileage on that engine to, to warrant serious concern unless the, the the problems that Valtteri have had maybe the Latifi ones connected as well unless they see something on the, on the data where they've realized there's some kind of underlying problem and they need a fix and the, they can get the fix quickly I, I wouldn't do it I wouldn't do it sooner than 
do it, do it sooner than Mexico. But it's an unenviable position to be in, um, especially for a manufacturer that's so used to going through the year like with the least trouble of any. Um, so it's a bad year for them to. They've picked a bad time to start having this kind of uh, this kind of issue. But yeah, Mexico Mexico makes the most sense. I was wondering about Austin, but um, I think yeah, just you have to. I don't think you can focus on yourself in this championship fight. You you have to play your percentages relative to your opposition. And Mark's right, they're going to forfeit points to Red Bull, I'm sure, at, in Mexico. So might as well take the penalty there. Yeah, it, it all comes down to what your what your risk levels are with with what you've got. I think that that's a that's a big player uh, in in this one. Uh, Red Bull are always had reason to be perfectly confident they could get to Russia. So I guess the question for Mercedes is as is are they confident to get through the next couple of races? So uh, let's see what they uh, what what they find out. But your point, Scott, about the fact that if they have to take it immediately, that means they've got bigger problems because then you get to the question of well, does that mean they need to take yet another one uh, later down the line? So it's it's tricky. I think if you're Red Bull, you'll be feeling pretty happy about this situation because obviously they had the disadvantage. They felt it was a little bit of an unfair disadvantage because the reason they had to definitely take the extra engine was that there was the, the damage done in the in the crash at Silverstone. Obviously, they tried to run things again in Hungary, but uh, yeah, detected uh, more problems. So Red Bull could uh, legitimately argue there's a little bit of poetic justice there in that one. It just shows when you get into these run-ins, these decisions can make the difference. It's not overstating a case that the way Mercedes plays this could be the difference between winning or not winning the championship. It might not be. But at this stage, with seven races to go, every single decision, that's why the pressure ramps up because it can have such a such a big impact. Well, just to finish off, Mark, should we have a look ahead to the, the Turkish Grand Prix? Last year wasn't much of a form guide given the conditions. Certainly the Mercedes was strong in the in the cool conditions once it had enough laps to build the tyre temperature. But Races taking place a chunk earlier. It was mid-November last year, so more than a month earlier. So we might have slightly more sensible c- conditions. So, so what are your expectations for Istanbul Park? Yeah, I think if the, um, the temperature is more normal and it's not damp and, and cool like it was then, it should be a very good track for um, for Mercedes. Not not in a sense that not like Monza. They're not going in there as overwhelming favourites over Red Bull. But I think um, there's no reason to suppose that the the, the layout of that track uh, is a particularly disadvantageous one for Mercedes. I think they will be right in their pitch, and I think that it's one of the tracks where the the two cars should be quite closely matched. Uh, It's just with that little proviso about um, tyre temperatures, getting the front tyre temperatures, which was the the big problem for Mercedes last year, and getting it uh, quickly enough for good performance and qualifying. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's the, the the big question. But it, it's great when you go to these circuits where there's a good chance that it's just whoever does the best job across the two teams. Because I just talked about in the championship perspective, all those decisions. But on a Grand Prix weekend, so many things happen. There's so many decisions and choices made, and drivers balancing up the the kind of risk versus reward on qualifying laps, etc. That these are the really good weekends where rather than it being one team has a slight advantage, and do they make good on it or not? As Mercedes sort of did in Sochi but didn't do in in, in Monza it, it, it's a great test of those two teams what, what do you reckon Scott I uh, I'm just curious to I'm just curious to see the next stage of the fight to be honest I've got no I've got no insight onto on on, on who should be better suited to to Istanbul I'm taking market his word that they're it looks like they'll be closely matched there's what a couple of points in it in now in the in in the championship so I we just go from one race to the next just 
getting just genuinely excited to see see how it goes. The thing that the thing that makes um, Turkey, uh, you know, last year even less relevant as a as a form guide is they've um, they've 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 cleaned the surface in 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 some way. I think Michael Massey referred to it as water blasting the the, the track, and they're not anticipating the extent of the low grip that we had last year which left i think drivers in fp1 fp2 do you remember the drivers were saying it was like driving on slicks in the rain just because the track surface was so slippery so yeah you're they're going back there but with uh, little to no value of a reference point uh and so it's just it's just another variable that gets thrown into this to this championship fight it's who's going to go there the best prepared who will make the most of friday practice if it's relevant um and then yeah how will the circuit characteristics play out in reality in terms of suiting or not suiting one of the cars um so i love it i I honestly i'm so excited and it's not just because i haven't been to istanbul before it's just i would not have even beyond my the seasons ended up being beyond my wildest dreams in terms of getting to this stage of the year and just not having a clue going race to race and we've had it in the past where race to race the narrative has been fun but to have that combined with the championship scenario I just um yeah I guess I've uh, hyped myself up there effectively I've just it's just sort of dawned on me just how lucky we are to have a, a season like this it's one of those situations where I, I really love not having a clue um in terms of the competitive order well, that's why the real excitement is in how it unfolds rather than making any predictions, which can be a little bit of a fool's game sometimes, even though I, uh, I regularly, uh, uh, we, we all regularly have to try and do it. But the point you make about Istanbul Park being kind of a, a new circuit, that's another dimension to this running because we've got Istanbul Park, which there's not that much relevant data from last year. Plus, we've also got the Qatar Grand Prix newly confirmed. We we're expecting that to happen and the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. So when we get into that, that, final running of the last three races the first two of those before we get to Abu Dhabi are on new circuits so that that's going to make it really interesting and again it just creates more potential I feel for the drivers and teams to to kind of get things wrong or get things right shall we say and and that will increase the chance of it just being a, a, a really worthy winner I, I think probably either team either driver could be a worthy winner of their respective championships but it just those extra curveballs are just brilliant well, thanks, Scott and Mark, to you for your insight. Do check out the race.com and don't forget the hyphen for the latest from the world of F1, MotoGP, IndyCar, Formula E and gaming. Check out our sister podcasts, including Bring Back V10, season four of that has just finished with some amazing classic F1 stories revisited. And also take a look at our YouTube channel. We're off to Istanbul now and we'll be back soon with everything you need to know about the Turkish Grand Prix. <laughs>